Hey gang, Tom Mullen here. Do you have a child who spends more time than you'd like in front of screens consuming low quality content? Well, you can turn that screen time into something fun and worthwhile. I'm talking about mini coders, an educational game-based platform including companion apps made for kids with video tutorials, virtual assistant, and games where kids learn coding skills while they play in the Roblox metaverse, all under the safety and guidance of a virtual assistant and in-game tutors. Minicoders is perfect for homeschooled, unschooled, or traditionally schooled children alike and helps them build 21st century skills and have a ball doing so. Right now, you can try out Minicoders with no obligation by registering for a free trial at TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders. That's M-I-N-I-C-O-D-E-R-S. Again, just visit TomMullenTalksFreedom.com slash Minicoders and start your free trial today. Every revolution starts in the minds of the people. Arm yourself for the war of ideas. Take back your life. Take back your liberty. Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Tom Mullen Talks Freedom. Today, my guest is James Ostrowski. James is a trial and appellate lawyer and author from Buffalo, New York, the city of my birth. He graduated from St. Joe's Collegiate Institute in 1975 and obtained a degree in philosophy from the State University of New York at Buffalo in 1980. He graduated from Brooklyn Law School in 1983. The practicing attorney, Jim is also the author of several books, including Progressivism, The Idea That Is Destroying America, Crime Against America, Essays Against the Lockdown, and his latest, The Libertarian Devil's Dictionary. He's also an adjunct scholar at the Ludwig von Mises Institute, a columnist for lourockwell.com. And believe me, I could spend the rest of the show just listing the things Jim Ostrowski is doing to fight for liberty. But welcome to the show, Jim. Yep. Thanks. Great to be back. I saw you on Facebook for the last few days. We're still both residents of Western New York. So they always say in our part of the world, if you don't like the weather, just wait five minutes. So we had 51 degrees and sunny and then yesterday 51 degrees and raining and today I woke up to to seven inches of snow in my driveway but you spent the last couple days driving around but it wasn't to enjoy the nice weather what were you up to we filed a lawsuit to end the mask mandate for k-12 through schools primarily public schools but it would also apply to private and I'm a one-man shop I'm used to doing everything myself it gets done faster cheaper and usually better. And I just had this idea. I was going to go on the road and I was going to serve all the defendants in Western New York. There's there's three in Albany and I had a process server do that, including the governor. But uh, there's 14 school districts who are defendants and the Erie County Executive Poland Cars and the Erie County Health Commissioner Burstein, who's uh, been in the press for her generous overtime. And so I went out the last couple of days, I got an old jalopy, but so I rented a car and I went out from all over Western New York to serve 14 school districts. And normally you don't serve the superintendent itself. I'm not trying to be really nasty about it, the, if there's an authorized agent, but I actually did serve 
I think three superintendents uh, just by happenstance and one actually was the is the husband of somebody I know very well and who spoke highly of me he said <laughs> pretty interesting and uh, some of these superintendents actually I take it they're they really don't want this thing and if we can peel them off and then just litigate against the state mandate that'd be great but I found that people were really interested in this uh in this lawsuit, there's been interest all over the state. People want to, people are coming out of the woodwork. They want to be parties and they were following. I would do like uh, just a quick Facebook live video. Yeah, I'm going into this place or that place and people were following it. So I think, I think it's an indication that people are sick of the lockdown. It's been almost two years now. A lot of people sat on their hands, but the opposition to it is is building. I noticed they just dropped the booster requirement for uh, medical people. I think that's a good sign. I think the energy is starting to move in our direction. And it just turned out that this is one of those lawsuits that's, it's, it's also a, it's a public interest lawsuit. So you litigate it in court, but you also have to litigate it in the court of public opinion. The complaint is it's on my Facebook page. It's very readable. I try not to write in legalese and people are reading all 46 pages of it, all 11,000 words, and they're agreeing with the content. So it's been a tremendous reaction. I'm amazed because I'm not really doing too many lawsuits anymore, slowly phasing down my law practice so I could do more writing and activism. But this was too important. It involves basically trying to prevent child abuse of what hundreds of thousands of students. I couldn't say no. Sure. And the plaintiffs, the people represented in the suit are all parents of kids in the, the various school districts. What's the process for them to join the suit? What do they have to do? Just give you the well, name and address or? We went out, we publicly announced that we were thinking of doing this. We had a Zoom call. It's, it's been on Facebook and Twitter and people just contacted me, cell phone, um, text, email, Facebook and Twitter. And we, I signed up 24 people and, and their their families to do it. And I know a lot more people want to be involved. If you go to my Facebook pages, I did a Zoom call last night. I actually did a, I did a Facebook Live last night. I listed some links. I wish I could remember the exact title of the site, but Dave Mangiello put a site together where people can go if they want to donate because it's a crowdfunded case. If they want to donate, they can donate. If they want to read the complaint, the links are on my, my personal Facebook page and also Dave's site. And I should have written down the name, but uh, it's a brand new site. So he, it's just been up a couple of days and people can go there and get on the mailing list. Or if they want to send me an email, I'll just make sure that in the subject line, it says mask lawsuit. Otherwise it's, it's just hard to keep track because I'm getting so many emails we might. And I talked about this last night. If we need to add more parties, we can do that. I'm hoping that the other side backs down. But if they don't back down, we, I'm just going to tell the lawyers, well, I can add a, how many more plaintiffs do you want? Because I've got just dozens, if not hundreds, want to do it. People can, I'm easy to contact all my infos online. I'm on my political website, libertymovement.org, all my contact infos there. But I'm also on Twitter and Facebook, and I'm pretty easy to find. So I tried to do a little research on my own to figure out what the legal basis for the governor being able to even declare that everyone's got to wear a mask. So when she did her executive order, the only thing she cites is section 28 of article 2B of the executive law. So I went and looked that up and there's a whole bunch of things that 
happens once she declares an emergency. But I don't see anything in here that says she can tell everyone that they have to wear a mask. So I guess the first question is, what's the legal basis she's doing this under? It's, it's very difficult to figure out. When you have rule by decree, you've got these executive orders flying all over the place. And I found it when I sued Cuomo earlier, he was issuing so many executive orders. It, it, it took hours just to read through and print them out, figure out what he was doing. But I actually think that it's the health commissioner doing this and then Hochul Hochul, the governor was stripped of their emergency powers to issue like decrees. And so I think her remaining emergency power would be to suspend statutes. And although she, I, I think it's the health commissioner uh, who's actually issuing the mandate. And then there's, there could be local mandates. Erie County has a mandate. That's why we sued the county executive. and. It's it's really quite confusing, even for lawyers. And this is what happens when you have emergency rule by decree. It's just literally difficult to figure out what's going on. But when you have legislation, it could be the worst legislation in the world. But it takes it's a slow process, and you can say, okay, this is the law, and let me figure this out. But some of some of these executive these executive orders can be issued on no notice. There's no hearings. There's no media coverage. All of a sudden, it's gone. Uh, the old movie where, you know, I think it was Rex Harrison who played uh, Caesar. He would just go boom. And that's, I, I hereby decree. And that's no way to run a country. Uh, <laughs> it's not the Roman Empire. So, yeah, I did notice that it says that after the emergency is declared, a public health commission will make a plan. But that's all they say. And can they just put the plan as everyone's got to stand on one leg? Or is it just anything goes? Or is there any limit to any of this? We're arguing that this type of uh, thing should be done by legislation. But even if it was done by legislation, that it's violative of any number of constitutional proceedings. Now, there was a prior case in Albany, and they generously let us look at their pleadings. They were arguing primarily First Amendment because putting a mask on interferes with communication, interferes with the learning process. And, and there's no question that's true. But I also had previously argued in a case that was mooted because the judge never ruled on it. And then Cuomo's powers were, were eliminated when he started to grope his staff. And so I also argued that it's a violation of the Fourth Amendment. It's like a seizure of your body, put a mask on your face or, or whatever. But I also, we also cited the guarantee clause and the due process clause because in my view, they require these types of rules to be passed by legislation because there's procedural protections in the political process and that wasn't done. So I think you're right that these executive edicts are basically invalid for any number of reasons. We're arguing primarily federal constitutional reasons because we we wanted to be in federal court. We figured the state court is going to generally side with the governor because the governor appoints all the appellate judges in the state. How fair is that? Not to labor this point too much, but the other thing I noticed is I went digging through this, and of course, nobody listening should consider anything I say to be legal advice. You can go to Jim and retain him, but I, I did notice that there's a section of section 24 and that's where they talk about local state of emergency, local emergency orders by the chief executive. And basically this is 
when the county executive or the mayor or town supervisor, whomever, of either a county, a city, a town, or a village declares an emergency just in that locality, that's the only place I can find language like closing places of public amusement and curfews and things like that. So it's just curious that's written in there like that as if it's a very strictly limited local power, but the governor just acts like, today I want you to wear masks. And like I said, tomorrow you have to stand on one leg and just until I tell you not to, there's got to be something wrong with that. And you're saying that the federal constitution, it might be running afoul of that in several places. Yeah, that's our argument. I, I guess the public health law does give the state health commissioner some power to issue regulations. And then, and then the question is, is this going way beyond that, that power? You raise a good point that once you get into this area of regulation, which regulation is supposed to protect us from some uncertain speculative harm, and that's the whole point of a regulation, that there's no actual harm. So if you're trying to prevent some future harm, you're intrinsically in a, in, a, in a gray area that could be expanded uh, ad infinitum, which is why I think libertarians uh, sh should oppose right, the, the whole concept of regulation and just stick to the criminal law or, or the law of torts to protect us from the possibility of harm. Because if, if the mere possibility, it's like the age old debate, do you do a preemptive strike if you're about to be invaded, but then if you do, you're the aggressor. And we've seen this over and over in, in, in history. We saw it in World War II, the, the Six Day War, the Iraq War. W once you get into that preemptive strike concept, it's a, it's a Pandora's box to coin a phrase. Actually, the very first episode of this show, I had Kevin Gutzman on also wanted to talk about the New Deal and how at the federal level, that's basically what happened is they transferred the legislative power to the executive by saying that, okay, we're Congress, we're going to create the USDA or whatever, and they can write regulations. Why is that different from a law? Because we say so. So if you write it down on paper and it says, I can't do something, then that's a law. As far as I'm concerned, that's the legislative power. And those things were litigated in the Supreme Court being mostly appointed by FDR. They said, uh, yeah, you can do that. And some of these agencies, they have all, they, they use, they exercise power from all three branches of government. They legislate, they administer, and they adjudicate. And my, my law professor, Hank Holzer, who was involved in the early portion of the libertarian movement, he summed up his administrative law course with the phrase, agencies do agency business, which, which can be a little puzzling, but when you think about it, he was right. Agencies do agency business. Forget the constitution. If you're going to have a progressive model of government, you got to throw out the constitution and create this administrative agency. And I think the law professor is Philip Hamburger from NYU, and he has a whole treatise on this, which I've been dying to crack open, but he says that the whole, all administrative law is unconstitutional. I, I'm inclined to agree with them, but uh, I guess that horse has left the barn. Certainly. We had a subsequent episode with Kevin where uh, this latest thing on where they just issued a stay on the vaccine mandates, they did bring up the non-delegation doctrine. So uh, he said that was the first time it had been mentioned in 50 years. Then that was good news. The horses are out of the barn, but there is a principle here that Congress can't delegate the legislative power, even though they have. 
Let's take a short break for this important message. Most people consider it a fact of life that prices are going to go up over time, and they've never gone up as fast as they are right now. But what if I told you it wasn't always like that? That for over 100 years, prices went down in America, even as the economy became more productive. Well, it's true. And as much as we like to blame the president when the economy is bad, presidents really have very little effect on our modern economy. The real culprit behind not only price inflation, but the constant booms and busts we suffer is the Federal Reserve System. My new book, It's the Fed, Stupid, is an appeal to Americans across the political spectrum to stop focusing on things that don't make a difference and start focusing on what does. Whether you're worried about constantly rising prices, wage stagnation, increasing wealth and income inequality, or the massive expansion of the government's size and power, They can all be traced back to an institution the powerful would prefer you ignored. Download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com and find out what you should really be fighting against. And now, back to our episode. You were right, Mr. Spock, about everything you said. We humans just are logical, too crazy in the head. Well, the New Deal basically just uh, just trashed the Constitution because, again, you can't have big government and a sort of an old-fashioned Republican-style Constitution. I know that they finally used the Commerce Clause to, uh, <laughs> excuse me, invalidate it some law under the Commerce Clause has been the first time since the New Deal got rid of equal protection. There's really no equal protection clause anymore except for rape and sex. And, and that's terrible because the, the Congress should pass laws of general applicability. And when they're allowed to carve out just certain segments of the population that are victimized by their laws, it's a divide and conquer strategy. If you're not affected by it, who cares? So yeah, the damage that the that the New Deal court did to the Constitution is uh, almost irreparable. And in, in my book on progressivism, I talked about how just the ideology of progressivism itself is its own constitutional law. And I gave as an example a case I litigated all the way to the highest court in the state about corporate subsidies. Progressives really don't believe in constitutions. Uh, they don't believe in constitutions. They believe in progressivism. Not to get too detailed on it, but they'll look at any words in the constitution and just simply interpret them to get the result of the progressive, what the progressive ideology, which wasn't even a thing until 100 years after the Constitution was passed. It comes in on the late 19th century and takes over around 1913, 1914 with the Federal Reserve, the war on drugs, and the income tax. I want to get back to your lawsuit in a second, but the other thing that really hit me once this nightmare started in 2020 was how terrible the state constitutions really are because the federal constitution is written, I know that they don't follow this, but at least in theory, it's written to say, okay, here's how elect all the legislators and the president and everybody. And here's the 10, 12 things that the government's allowed to do. And that's it. And it can't do anything else. And people even made the argument, which really in in theory is correct at the time that the bill of rights was superfluous because 
the government can't do anything with what's on this list anyway. But the state government constitutions are not written that way. They're written just elect the legislatures under these rules and they can do whatever they want as long as they don't violate the state bill of rights. That's been a problem since the beginning, but I never really thought about it as much until this happened. And I, I wonder how many other people out there are thinking we got to put some limits on these state governments. Probably not too many, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And the, uh, a lot of the constitutional theorists say the states have a plenary power, the police power. And you, if you try to figure out well, where do this police power come from, you get lost in uh, medieval England or something like that. And there's a lot of the stuff is just kind of made up by the judges, clerks when necessary to reach a certain result. Okay. So getting back to your suit. So you filed the suit, you served everybody yesterday and has anyone in another state tried this yet or something similar? I'm not really sure when they contacted me about this. The first thing I did was check to see if there's any cases involving New York state. I found the one in Albany. I think I found the one in Long Island only later. And then there was recently another challenge, but in reading the federal court decision, denying a preliminary injunction in Albany, I didn't see too many cases. You'd think that there would have been more, but not that many cases. So, frankly, the lawyers, generally speaking, have uh, been AWOL in, in the whole lockdown. It's really embarrassing to be a lawyer because so few lawyers have filed these cases. And the judges have very often upheld the, upheld the various provisions of the lockdown, except for interrupting church services that went to the Supreme Court. And I actually argued in a lockdown case in federal court that you violated our right to religious freedom, but that case again was mooted out because it was ultimately the regulations expired and it really wasn't pursuing a claim for money damages for seven years to, to get a couple hundred dollars of compensation. And it is, there's difficulties getting money damages anyway, but the courts have been very disappointing, but it's important to file these cases and force the government to say, do we have a constitution or not? Because if they're not going to enforce the constitution, we need a plan B. And it's very important to make them smoke them out, I think is the right phrase. So you're strictly contesting the mask part of it, or is the earlier stay at home orders a part of it as well or no? Because most of those expired and the, the mask mandate and the various vaccine mandates, those are what's on the table. And those have been, there's various lawsuits contesting those. And people want me to file all these cases. And I wish I had five of me and a million dollar litigation budget. I'd, I'd file all of them. But I'm just focusing in on the mask for kids because that seems to be what people were clamoring for at this point. And I know there's other people litigating mask uh, vaccine. Well, I would think somebody could make the case that you kept my kid home for a year and a half, missed school, has irreparable damage or is behind now for years because they didn't learn what they would have learned in school, blah, 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 blah. Has anyone tried anything like that or no? As far as I know, they haven't. I know somebody filed a class action lawsuit over the, the initial lockdown, but I haven't heard anything uh, about it. So you might, it's probably worth pursuing if the firm had the resources to do it. I'm just a solo practitioner and, and just basically working part-time. So I was able to do this just because I'm a freelance writer and I'm a good researcher, but it's really, uh, 
extremely difficult and time consuming. The, the first lockdown lawsuit I did took me a month to file the complaint and a month to file the motion for a preliminary injunction. This one, I did the complaint in about 10 days and I'm gonna try to do the injunction motion in, a, in just a few days, just because the kids are suffering out there and I want to, I want to get into court as soon as I can to try to at least ask the judge for an order to stop this. So what's the schedule from here? You just said about the injunction to try and get him to, until this is settled, issue an injunction, you can't do this. So what's the next procedural point besides that? Well, I'm going to try to file an injunction motion next week, and then it takes a few days to get it heard. I'm hoping all the defendant's lawyers sign on to the e-file system so I have somebody to serve so I don't have to be chasing people again. And as soon as I can get it on for court, but then it's really up to a judge to issue a ruling. So it's not a fast process. Even situations where you want the court to move fast. If a building is about to fall down, yeah, you can usually get a, a judge. If it's an election, if they need to open it, keep the polls open, there's a duty judge, but it's not easy to get judges, courts to move fast and get a bunch of lawyers representing like 18 people. They're all going to stall for time and everything. And my job is to say, we can't stall for time. And they certainly can't complain. They don't have the resources because they're all paid by the hour and by taxpayers and just paid by crowdfunding a dollar here, a dollar there. So I got to think that you've got a real uphill battle because if you were to win, even at the court level, at the district court, I guess that would be, this would mean, I should ask, would it mean that every mask mandate for school children all over the country is considered unconstitutional unless there's a successful appeal or not necessarily? Would it be only this state? Let's assume the judge issued a declaratory judgment that this mass mandate was illegal. I think it would apply statewide. It wouldn't apply beyond the state because it's only a New York state mandate. But that case could be used in other states to argue for similar injunctions in those states. There's some gray area. Does it apply to just the plaintiffs and the defendants or does it apply to everybody? I, I'd like to think that it applies to everybody. Just as the case in Nassau County was written to bar statewide enforcement, even it was then widely ignored, which is something that's mentioned in our complaint, that at least for that one day period, there was no mass mandate. So how do you explain you know, enforcing it? That's gonna to be tough for them. But ultimately, our goal is to end the mass mandate. And if we have to compromise and, and you know, settle the thing, I, I think our clients would probably want to do that. We just want to get this mandate ended as quickly as possible. But if they do end, if they end the mandate during the lawsuit, we're still going to ask the judge for a, a ruling so that they won't be able to do it again. Sure. Where are we? We're in the middle of February, toward the end of February. So... By the time you get up to bat and even start arguing this, it's probably getting close to the end of the year. Of course, in New York, we go till late June, don't we, with the school kids? Mid, mid late June. And I just read there was some new variant today that they're talking about. We've seen this yo-yo go up and down, and I just want to make sure that they, they can't do it again. Even if they withdraw the mandate, we're still going to ask the court for a ruling. What I'm not understanding is if you win in, in a federal court and the basis for your victory is this violates the federal constitution, why can't every state in the union just say, look, there it is. The judge said it's unconstitutional. Under our sort of common law system that can be cited and it's not binding on another judge of the same level of jurisdiction, 
But if it's affirmed on appeal, that has much more persuasive weight. And I think it really is binding on other district courts. Everybody looks to their own circuit, but you, you don't want to, if you're a district judge, you don't want to be issuing a ruling that's contrary to a, a circuit, a, a circuit court of appeal, because the odds are you're going to have trouble on appeal doing that. It, it, it's a somewhat complicated system, but that's how it works. All right. Was there anything that people listening might be able to do to help you spread the word? Is there anything at this point that could help you make a difference? If people have really unpleasant episodes involving masks, whether it's health problems or harassment or that one day when the order was not in effect and people continue to violate it, they can pass that information along because they might be able to use their affidavits. I do want to have a bunch of people ready to become plaintiffs if the defendants persist in this foolhardy path. And then also people can uh, donate uh, money for the lawsuit. We have, I think we have a, a goal of $5,000, but there's also expenses. We may have to bring in expert witnesses. We'll, I'm going to do an accounting. I think we've raised about $3,500 at this point. And keep in mind when we litigate against these public entities, whether it's staff lawyers or hourly private lawyers, they're spending, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars compared to my typical crowdfunded case. I think I went all the way to the Supreme Court on the challenging the New York pistol permit law for eight grand that we, we didn't get certiorari to the Supreme Court that the other, the NYSERPA case did with the biggest law firm in the country, Kirkland Ellis, I think it's called. And, uh, but if, if they win, that case is, has been argued and we're waiting for a decision. We're, we'll be back to the circuit on that to revive that case. But yeah, generally speaking, totally outnumbered, outgunned in these cases. I, my father was a judge. I have pretty good legal training. And most of my career has been litigating against big law firms. And I've won more. I think I've won more than I've lost. And the, the funny thing about law for big law firms, they can be intimidating, but you're generally up against one partner and one associate. So it's okay. Forget the associate. I can match the partner. So it's uh, not to give any, give away any trading secrets, but what I don't have is the unlimited budget to just spend. Okay. I'm going to spend a month on this appellate brief. Like I have to really crank things out fast, but again, being a freelance writer helps and you know, I write fast. So what can I say? That's the only way, the only way I've been able to survive in this business. So what's the URL for people to contribute to the crowdfund? It's on give, send, go, but the best way to find it is to go to my Facebook page. Cause I posted the link last night and I'll probably post it on my Twitter account or maybe I probably have, but I would say if people follow my Facebook page, uh, that's where I'm given all the updates and also my Twitter account, any new developments. And I do some, I do Facebook lives occasionally. I, I do zoom calls too, to keep people posted. All right. We'll link to your Facebook page and then also to the page where they can go see all your books. I want to wish you the best of luck. I hope you're successful. I know you're fighting a big monster there, but boy, I'm glad you're out there doing it. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate you having me on and supporting the, the effort. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Sure. Okay, friends, that's going to do it for today. If you haven't already, don't forget to download a free copy of my new ebook, It's the Fed Stupid, at itsthefedstupid.com. And if you like the music you've heard on Tom Mullen Talks Freedom, you can hear more at tommullensings.com. Thanks for listening. 
The war of ideas has only just begun. Arm yourself with the knowledge you need by heading to TomMullenTalksFreedom.com and subscribing to our email list. And remember, every revolution starts in the minds of the people.